This episode contains adult language and topics that may be disturbing for some listeners. Such topics include suicide, drug use, physical or sexual abuse of a child. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. Crime. Welcome back to From Crime to Crime. Random question. Do you like figs? Turns out I just got the results yesterday. I do not. (laughs) You just got them yesterday? (laughs) Yeah. Well, my husband Uh, was eating Fig Newtons. Oh, those are bomb. What is that? And he's like, it's a Fig Newton. I was like, oh, I've never had a Fig Newton. And he's like, here, taste it. And then I tasted it. I was like, oh, I don't like that at all. (laughs) How did you grow up in the 90s and never, ever have a Fig Newton? Those are a staple, like Dunkaroos. I don't know. I've never had Dunkaroos either. Oh my god! What the hell I mean, is I guess that? it's a good thing. Like, dude, Dunkaroos were the like the greatest '90s snack of all time. They were essentially just small cookies with <laughs> with a little tube of frosting. And, oh, you know, I thought they were just underwear. Kind of oh my, what? I I thought Dunkaroos what were underwear. What rock were you living under? In I don't the know. 90s? Like, come on. I don't. You think my mom would ever buy Dunk Dunkaroos? A uh, dungaroos, I think, is what I was thinking of. That's underwear. I think you're thinking of dungarees. And oh, maybe. Dunk- <laughs> yeah, and dunkaroos are bomb, but you're right. Your mom probably wouldn't have bought them. There's, no. there's definitely gluten in them. Yeah. But anyway, for anyone wondering why, I happened to look out my window, and we have some figs growing on our fig tree. So You have every kind of fruit tree. Not every kind, but we do have a lot, yeah. And these fig trees pop up everywhere. It's so random. Like... All of a sudden, we'll just have another fig tree. Like, oh, all right, I guess we're having figs again. Not when I come over. No, that's that's true. <laughs> they actually don't produce that many figs, so they're for us. Oh, good. Fine by me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into this week's episode. This was actually a listener-suggested episode, wasn't it? Yes, from our favorite listener, Jen. Hi, Jen. We do love Jen. So Jen requested this case, and it is pretty wild. It's about the founder of Apple, isn't it? <laughs> no. Oh, that's Steve Wozniak? No relation. No, we're doing Daniel Wozniak. Got it. Okay. All right. Well, let's jump right into it then. All right. We're going to start in Costa Mesa in 2010, and there's a guy named Sam Hare. He's 26 years old, and he just got back from a three-year tour in Afghanistan, and he was trying to figure out, like, what his next step in life was going to be. You know, he had grown up in Orange County before he joined the military. He had some trouble in his past, like, in his early adulthood. He had been tried for murder along with 23 other gang members for luring a guy to a parking lot where he was attacked by a rival gang. Wow. Yeah. So he was eventually acquitted of this charge. And by all accounts, he had turned his life around, joined the military. He was a combat vet and a really good one, according to like his fellow soldiers and friends. He was a good guy. He had turned his life around and was on the right path. Now that he was home from his tour in Afghanistan, he was struggling a little bit with some signs of PTSD, but he was living in an apartment complex called the Camden Martinique Apartments, and it's right by the local community college. So he was going to college at OCC, and he wanted to get his degree so that he could re-enlist in the military as an officer. 
Shortly after he starts college at OCC, he meets a girl named Julie Kibuishi in an anthropology class. And her and Sam hit it off right away. They become fast friends. And she started tutoring him in his classes because he wasn't doing as well as she was. And, you know, so he she started tutoring him and helping him. And he ended up getting an A in that anthropology class. But there was no romantic interest between these two. They were just friends. Both described their relationship as almost like a brother-sister type. Okay. Julie was younger than Sam. She was only like 23. And she had grown up in Orange County too. And she'd gone to OSHA for high school and was an amazing dancer. And she was studying fashion in college. So this was 2010. She's 23. Yeah. She's the same grade as you. In high school. I was going to say, yeah, that sounds about the same. And we know we know people who went to OSHA too. So, okay. Mm -hmm. So already starting probably in the same circles. Yep. So things are good. At the Camden Martinique Apartments, a lot of the neighbors are young. Should we explain what OSHA is? Um, Probably, huh? Yeah. OSHA is the Orange County Performing Arts High School. Like you have to be pretty talented to go there. Yeah, you have to apply to get in. Yeah. And you have to be good at something. And Julie was an amazing dancer. I'm guessing that's how she got in. I'm pretty good at talking to people. That's about it. OSHA would never have let me in. No. (laughs) I can't do anything else. Yeah. So at this point, things are really good. Julie and Sam are friends. They're going to college. They're friends with a lot of the people in Sam's apartment complex that's right across from OCC. So a, a lot of the people who live there are young also. And things are good. The neighbors are all good. They hang out together a lot. They even do what they call family dinners or Taco Tuesdays where they all kind of like rotate hosting it. And they're just living it up, enjoying their 20s. Sounds great. Yeah. Taco Tuesday is big in Orange County. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So on... Is it big everywhere? I don't know. Oh. Well, it's really big in Orange County. I know that. Yeah. I was like, I assumed it was because we always did Taco Tuesdays, but we grew up here, so maybe not. I don't know. Now that moving to Vegas, probably not because we don't have any good Mexican restaurants here. So I don't know how anybody would do Taco Tuesdays. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. So it probably isn't everywhere. It's probably where there's good Mexican food. Yeah. So on Friday, May 21st, 2010... Sam was supposed to go help one of his neighbors move some furniture and props at like a local community theater and then go to a barbecue with his neighbors, all these friends that do Taco Tuesday. And then he was supposed to head to Anaheim Hills for the weekend to spend the weekend with his parents, which Anaheim Hills is like 15 minutes from Costa Mesa. It's not that far. So Sam is really, really close to his parents. He's an only child and he's like BFFs with his dad. So when he didn't show up at this barbecue on Friday night, one of his friends, Ruben, called him and was like, hey, where are you? And when Sam answered, it was really loud and windy. And he said he was having problems with his father, which Ruben immediately was like, obviously, that's not true. They don't have family problems. And he's like best friends with his dad. So some alarm bells started going off for his friends and stuff like, what is he talking about? By Saturday afternoon, big red flags started showing up for his dad, Steve, because he hadn't heard from Sam. Mm. He didn't show up to their house like he had planned. So Steve, you know, was trying to get a hold of Sam and couldn't get a hold of him. And he's like, well, I'm just going to go over to his apartment and see what the hell's going on. Like why he didn't show up. And when Steve got to Sam's apartment, Sam was nowhere to be found. But everything seemed normal. Until he got into Sam's bedroom, and on Sam's bed, he discovered the body of a woman, and it was bad. Oh, this is real bad. Yeah. So she was knelt down by the bed, and her torso was laying kind of like over the bed, 
and she was bloody and her pants had been pulled down. It was written on her back. It said, fuck you, all yours. Like carved into her back or like written with like a pen or a sharpie or something? Written. Oh, still still bad. Still bad, but not as bad as carving, but still very bad. Yeah. So Steve immediately called 911 and was like, there's a body in my son's apartment. Like, what the hell? Yeah. No, that's... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So they were like, does your son know who it is? And he's like, my son's not here. I don't know where he is. So the police show up and they identified the girl right away as Julie Kibuishi because her phone and her purse was there. And on her phone, they had found texts from Sam the night before asking Julie to come over. And he was telling her that he was having family problems and needed a friend. And Julie had been at her brother's that night where he and his fiance were asking her to be a bridesmaid in their wedding. And they had given her a tiara. And when she left her brother, she went straight to Sam's to be there for her friend because she was a good friend. Right. And when they found her body, she was still wearing the tiara that her brother had gave her the night before. Oh, man. Yeah. So that's where the trail ended. But because of his past and and the fact that Julie's body was found in his bedroom, the police immediately launch a manhunt for Sam. Great police work. So far, so good. Yeah. So Steve, Sam's dad, knew that his son had saved over $60,000 in combat pay from his time in Afghanistan. And Steve was on the bank account with Sam. So he started checking the account to see where Sam was spending money because he's like, I got to find my kid and figure out what the hell went on here. Everybody's looking for him. I got to find him before, you know, somebody else does. Yeah. So Steve also started calling Sam's friends at the apartment complex and found out that the last time that anybody had heard from him was when he went to help his neighbor, Dan Wozniak, move some stuff at a local theater on Friday afternoon. So Steve calls Dan and Dan says, yeah, he helped me Friday and he was kind of upset and talking about family problems and girl problems. And then I have no idea. We went home and that was the end of it. I haven't seen him since. And everybody was still kind of like, this is weird. Like he didn't have family problems. Like why are all these family problems all of a sudden like showing up? So Sam's dad is like really on edge and he's, like I said, checking the bank account and the cops are checking the bank account too. By Monday morning, they realized that there was activity on the bank account over the weekend. There was ATM withdrawals for $400 a day and a couple of transactions from a local pizza place in Long Beach. Okay. So he's still in the area. Long Beach from there is not very far, maybe a half hour. Right. So the police get surveillance video from the ATM and fully expect to see Sam on the video, like getting money to, I don't know, get out of town or something. And instead they see a teenage boy that they don't recognize and nobody else seems to recognize. And they're like, oh, who the hell is this kid? Yeah. So they go to the pizza shop that his ATM card was used at. And it turns out the card was used for a delivery in Long Beach. The pizza place gives the cops the address. They're like, well, here, here's the address. And so immediately the SWAT team swarms this house and they fully expect to find Sam hiding out inside the house. And instead they find a 16 year old boy named Wesley Freilich eating pizza with his buddies. (laughs) Just hanging out like no big deal. Yeah. And at first he acts all like super tough in front of his friends and like, you know, But then when they bust down his mom's locked bedroom door thinking Sam was hiding in there and they tell him they're investigating a murder, he broke down and started crying and told them everything he knew. Oh, what did he know? What did he know? What did he know? (laughs) 
Well, it wasn't that much. So he says he got the ATM card from his mom's friend, Daniel Wozniak, that she had known from the local theater. He gave this story that Dan told him he worked for a bail bondsman and that Sam owed him money and they had to get the money out of Sam's account little by little every day. And he showed this kid like paperwork from a bail bondsman company that looked legit to this kid and told him that it wasn't illegal and that all he had to do was wear a hat and glasses and take $400 a day out of the ATM. But obviously, how the hell would anybody know what bail bonds papers were supposed to look like unless they were familiar with them? Yeah, I mean, I've never seen them. And if someone handed them and said bail bonds at the top and had some writing on it, be like, no, it looks legit to me. Right, but as an adult, you would obviously know that you don't need to wear a hat and glasses to take four hundred dollars a day out of somebody else's ATM account. Like, there's no way that's legal. Okay, you know, true. That I'm, um, uh, yes, that I would get, but yeah, and you would you be know. like, why? If it is legal, why wouldn't you just do it yourself, Dan? Anyway, this kid, you know, he's sixteen. They're kind of not very smart sometimes. I wonder if he was getting a cut of it too. I mean, that, yeah, that would do that it was in the, sixteen. I mean, yeah, that was the agreement was that he would take four hundred dollars a day out, and then he could use the ATM card or whatever. Or get obviously, he ordered pizza to his house. So there was obviously something in it for him, but he's a 16-year-old kid. He didn't know really what was going on. He just, I think he knew something was wrong, but I don't think he knew what. Fair. All right. Now the police are certain that Daniel Wozniak, who was Sam's neighbor, that Sam had helped move the stuff at the theater on Friday, they're certain that Daniel Wozniak was helping Sam hide out and get away after killing Julie. Obviously. That makes sense. Yeah. So they learn a little more about Daniel Wozniak and his fiance Rachel Buffett. No relation to Jimmy Buffett. I knew you were going to. You ask knew me. I was going to ask that, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, I was on my way. Yeah. So they live in the same apartment complex as Sam, and they're both actors in local community theater. And they don't really work like real jobs. They pretend <laughs> like acting is their real job, but they don't make any money doing it, so it's not real. <laughs> Uh, this is funny. These are probably the comments, the, the bad comments we get about how we judge other people. It's like, look, you're not an actor, seriously. Like, you're just kind of a pretend actor if you don't get paid for it. Yeah. Not Which is fine, So, like, if that's your hobby. But, like, you got to work, you know, but they didn't. So <laughs> they're getting married yeah. the following weekend. And they're supposed to take a honeymoon after that. So With what money? Well, that's the, the problem here. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they talked, they, they got to talk to Dan and find out where the hell Sam is hiding. And they tracked Dan down on Wednesday night at his bachelor party at Tsunami Sushi in Huntington Beach. Oh, I think I've heard of it. I don't think I've been there. I don't think it's there anymore, but. I don't think it is there anymore. And it also, it doesn't seem like the best like bachelor party hotspot, but teach his own. Well, we do have experience. You did plan an epic bachelor party in Orange County yeah. that did not include Tsunami Takedown or whatever it's called. And so, Tsunami Sushi. You know, yeah, that one. So you are a little biased, but fair enough. Yeah. So anyway, they come into Dan's bachelor party at Tsunami Sushi, which I'm sure was just a dinner, and they arrest him on accessory to murder charges and take him to jail. And when they start interviewing... Not how you want your bachelor party to go. I mean, if someone gets arrested, actually, that's kind of funny, but not you and (laughs) not for accessory to murder charges. Yeah. And Daniel was extremely Was Sam at his bachelor party? Was he the same place? No. And Dan was extremely upset because they waited until after he paid the bill to arrest him. And he's like, you couldn't have arrested me 15 minutes ago. (laughs) But anyway. Uh, You know. 
That's something I would say, too. Yeah. So when they start interviewing Dan and his fiance Rachel, it became apparent that this whole thing was a show. They were actors, but not very good ones, because the story they gave was ludicrous and seemed just rehearsed and fake. And their story was that Sam killed Julie and then came to Dan for help. And Dan's payment for helping Sam get away was that he could drain his bank account. Okay. But the more they talk, the more their stories don't line up. But and then what happens after after they drain the bank account and then they go to the police or what's the yeah this doesn't add enough no. there, I've, there's something missing yeah so the more they press Daniel the more he tells them he started out telling them that he didn't see Julie and that Sam just told him he killed her and then he broke down and told them that he went up to Sam's apartment when Sam came for him to help so that he did see Julie. And that's probably how his DNA got in his... Like, he was trying to, like, oh, my DNA's going to be there because I went up there and da-da-da. The big slip-up came when they asked him what he saw in Sam's apartment. And he he literally said, I saw two bullet holes in her head. Oh, he wasn't supposed to have seen the body. Well, and even if he had seen the body, the police were like, Yahtzee. You had to have been there when she was killed to know that there was two bullet holes in her head. Because according to the police, you couldn't tell that there was bullet wounds. It was just blood and hair. And I mean, they had to do the autopsy to find out that she had been shot twice. Like it could have been blunt force trauma to the head. Like you couldn't see two bullet holes. Totally. So the only way anybody would know that is if they were there when she was killed. Did he end up doing it? He ended up doing it, huh? He's killed both of them. Well, hold on. He's killed both of them, hasn't he? Well, don't ruin the story for everybody, Grant. All right. So they send him back to his holding cell to, like, regroup because they're like, whoa. They were expecting him pretty much to be like, okay, Sam's at a Motel 6 in Los Al. They weren't expecting him to, his stories not to line up and things to get so weird. Right. Yeah, they didn't think he did it. They thought Sam had actually done it. Yeah, so they send him back to his holding cell to kind of like regroup, and he calls Rachel. And these calls are all recorded, and you can listen to them all, and they're super chilling. They're just gross to listen to. What does he say? Well, they talk super calmly, and it all feels super rehearsed, like this is what we're going to say on the recorded phone calls if we ever get caught. And they oh, wow. they start with her kind of like prompting him to tell her the story about how he helped Sam. And then Dan starts to slowly, obviously like unravel and go off script. And he mm. starts saying more things than he really is supposed to, it seems like. And then Rachel all of a sudden just says, well, Tim told me something and now I have to go tell the detectives. Tim is Dan's brother, and Rachel tells Dan that Tim just told her he has a bag with evidence in it. And Dan freaks out and says he can't give that bag up, and Rachel is just, like, calm as a cucumber, and she's like, no, I'm going to go tell them. Like, this call's recorded. You can't lie anymore. Like, Okay, so she's a better actor than he is, it sounds like? Kind of is what's going on here. So then Dan decides it's time to confess and come clean. So he goes back in this interview room and confesses. That he killed Julie and he killed Sam. All right. Well, I guess. So now we have the truth. That's like. Kind of. He came out and he said it. And in a way, his fiance is the one who kind of gave him up. But like in a really awkward. You have to listen to these calls to understand what I mean. Like if your fiance is arrested for murder or accessory to murder and you know nothing about it, I would think you would be 
freaking out and have lots of questions and like so many questions and it so, just yeah. doesn't seem like that is what's going on. So anyway, yeah, good point. This is awkward. So he goes back into the interview room and he just spills his guts. He tells the police the whole thing. He says that he killed Sam and that he killed Julie and he did it. And, you know, they're like, why? Why would you kill Julie? Yeah. What happened? Yeah. And he's like, well, to cover up killing Sam. Oh, why did he kill Sam? Yeah. That's the thing. So his story is that he was in a massive amount of debt. He was lying to Rachel, telling her that he worked and had jobs and owned apartments and condos, and but oh. really he didn't, and he owed a ton real of people money. What? He said he was trying to make it seem like he was a real estate investor? Well, he, he was just trying to seem like he had things together with it. Oh, I see. But really, he was in a massive amount of debt, and he owed a ton of people money, and he was facing eviction from their apartment. And she knew none of this? Well, that's what he says, and that's what Rachel says, is that she didn't know any of it. And that he came up with this plan because he needed money, and he needed it fast, because he had to pay for their honeymoon. Oh. That was come- they were getting married that weekend, and he had to pay for their honeymoon. Yeah, wow. So he came up with this ridiculous plan because when he had told his friend Sam about his money troubles and the fact that they were facing eviction, apparently Sam was like super nice guy and went to the ATM and pulled out some money to loan Dan. Mm -hmm. And Dan stood behind him at the ATM and saw Sam punch in his pin number. And when he saw that Sam had over $60,000 in his bank account, he decided that he was going to kill him to drain the rest of his money. Oh, wow. That, that would solve all of his problems. Whoa. So that Friday afternoon, he asked Sam to help him move some stuff at the theater where he and Rachel were in a production of the show Nine. I've never heard of that. Me neither. It's a musical. I, apparently, it's a real popular one. I like musicals. I don't know about that one. Yeah. Sam, of course, being a nice guy, was like, sure, I'll come help you. So when they went into the attic of the theater, Sam bent down to pick something up, and Dan shot him in the back of the head twice with his father's gun. Oh, my gosh. Wow. See, I didn't see that coming. That's crazy. He even got him out of the house Uh to do it. Like, they were neighbors. Like, I mean, honestly, you could have done that a lot easier. Yeah. So he took Sam's phone and wallet and left his body in the attic of the theater. He went home that night. Him and Rachel got ready and went and acted in their play. You know, just like (sighs) nothing ever happened. That's nuts. That Mm -hmm. is next level weird, man. Yeah. And then they even attended a cast party that night where there's pictures of them smiling and laughing and all that stuff. And this is why Rachel says she didn't know She's like, if I would have known, how would I have acted like that? But is Sam's body at this point still in the theater house, like up in the rafters? Yes. No way. So after acting in the play that night and going to the cast party, Dan starts texting Julie from Sam's phone to lure her to Sam's apartment. What does he want with Julie? Well, How, how does he know about Julie? Because Julie had texted Sam while they were moving the furniture at the theater, and Sam had told Julie that he was helping his friend Dan move some stuff. Okay. 
So Dan starts texting Julie from Sam's phone saying, hey, I need a friend. I need somebody to talk to. I'm having family problems, blah, 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 trying to lure Julie back to Sam's apartment so that they could kill Julie because Julie knew that Sam was with Dan. Oh, oh, my See how this works? Oh, my gosh. What a horrible thing to be involved in. He also says that part of the reason that he killed Julie was because he wanted to make it look like Sam had killed her and then Sam was on the run. Well, he did a good job of that. Yeah, exactly. So around midnight after that play and after he was texting Julie and everything, when she was done at her brother's dinner where he had asked her to be in his wedding, she went to Sam's apartment to console her friend. And Daniel Wozniak was waiting there for her and killed her for no other reason except literally to use her as a prop in this ridiculous situation he'd gotten himself into. That is I don't even know. Yeah. Like I'm I'm looking it up right now. Like this dude like he does just look like any kind of ordinary dude. So it gets worse. So in the next couple of days while everybody was searching for Sam, you know, on this manhunt for Sam thinking he killed Julie. Right. Dan needed to get rid of Sam's body out of the attic of the theater. Right. So he started dismembering him. Oh, why? Because he Sam was a tall guy and a big guy. He was big and strong and muscular and Dan couldn't get him out of the attic of the theater by himself. So he cut off his head and his hands and took them to a nature preserve in Los Alamitos and buried them. And his plan was to cut him up into pieces and bury him at the nature preserve. But before he could complete the job, he was arrested on accessory charges. So after this whole confession and everything, when the police were like, well, where's Sam's body? They went to the theater and found the rest of Sam's body still in the attic of the theater. Oh, my God. God, like, and here's the thing to me that, like, I'm thinking, like, it's in the rafters and, you know, it's up high and stuff. Like, this guy's shot. Like, what if blood just starts dripping onto somebody from up top? Like, that was kind of the scene that was playing in my head. That's gnarly stuff. Yeah, it's horrible. And this guy just looks like, like, looking at these pictures and stuff, like, there's pictures of him in jail. He's just smiling along. Oh, you know. He's disgusting. Like, in the interviews when they were asking him about this and he was telling them that he dismembered Sam's body, he's laughing maniacally in these interviews and then crying and then laughing and then saying that he's crazy. And then when he's talking to his girlfriend on the phone, he asks stuff like, should I go to the mental institution or should I go to prison? Like, he has a choice. And she's like, you need to go to the mental institution. It's just so weird and rehearsed and it's really awkward. Yeah. So... After they find Sam's body, they search the nature preserve over the next couple of days. And on what would have been Sam's 27th birthday, they finally recovered his head. Where was it? It was in the nature preserve. It was buried. Right. But like, oh, it was buried. Okay. Yeah. So Daniel was charged for the murders, but it took an extraordinary amount of time for this to go to trial. But it finally did five years after the murders. And he was convicted of both of their murders and sentenced to death. Well, I think... uh... Man, I I don't think that we should punish death with death, but this was this was gnarly, honestly. Well, and it's California, so he's never going to get put to death anyway, because there's a moratorium on the death penalty anyway. Oh, is there? Good. Well, I didn't know that. He's at Salinas Valley State Prison. Okay, we're going to get into that later, though. Don't ruin that. There's more. I thought we were at the end of this thing. No, 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 no. No, there's more. Oh. 
So the drama and the heartbreak didn't stop there for the Hares and the Kibuishis because over the five years before the trial, Rachel's involvement in the crime was suspected by everyone. Like police, family, friends, everybody's like, she has got to be way more involved. Some people even think that Dan wasn't smart enough to come up with any of this on his own and they think that she orchestrated the whole thing. They think that she orchestrated the whole thing? Mm Mm-hmm. Because she plays this innocent victim and stuff. But when you listen to these phone calls, it's gr- it's chilling. Like she has no emotion. She It's like she's leading him to say things. And a lot of their friends and family have given interviews and stuff and said that she was known to wear the pants in the relationship. Oh, interesting. And she would do like weird power flexes. Like when they'd be with a group of friends, she would be like, look, I can get Daniel to kiss a guy. And she would like tell him like he had to make out with a guy or she wasn't going to go home with him. And he would. That's bizarre. Yeah. And like she thought it was funny, like that she had so much control over him. (laughs) I guess I kind of think it's funny, too. But yeah, I mean, that's just bizarre behavior for like, I'm just yeah, I was imagining Christine like at the bar or out anywhere. And she's like, you have to kiss a guy or you have to go home with or not. I won't go home with you. I'm like, girl, what? Yeah. What are you talking about? But she was just known to like just control every little like she would go through his phone. She knew everything on his computer. She called all the shots like she knew everything. So for her to say she knew nothing about this, like the guy can't even go to the bathroom yeah. without her knowing what's going on. You think he plotted a double murder without that makes her a knowing? lot of sense. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense, actually. Yeah. So there was a lot of stuff that pointed to the fact that she probably knew a lot more than she said, you know, and then she also lied to the police on multiple occasions about that weekend. Like some of the stuff that she said had happened was stuff that turned out in the end. Daniel admitted never happened. So I'm looking this stuff up like as you're talking and, and whatnot. Not only was she like a community theater actor, she also played Ariel, among other Disney characters at Disneyland. Yeah. Yeah. How incredibly gnarly. I knew some people who played Disney princesses and stuff at Disneyland too, but as far as I know, none of them had orchestrated any kind of elaborate murders. But that is incredible. Yeah. She was even during this whole like limbo period before Dan had gone to trial and everything. She even went on the Dr. Phil show where she tried to like play the victim and be like, I didn't know any of this. And I'm an innocent victim too. And Sam's dad, Steve Hare came on Dr. Phil to confront her. And he's like, that offends me. You're not a victim. (laughs) Like you lied about everything. And it's been proven that you've lied. Like, you know, and even Dr. Phil, I love when Dr. Phil shuts people down. He's just like, Ah, you're an idiot. Yeah. So anyway, she gave some like coached response to a question that they asked her about when she lied. And Dr. Phil was like, well, that sounded rehearsed. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> so anyway, there was a lot of drama in that five years. And she was with Dan the night that he So killed- much drama in the LBC. Yeah. <laughs> but Perfect she- timing, right? She was with Dan the night that he killed Sam and Julie and how do you not know you know and she says she was sleeping but then there's a Facebook post from her to Julie right around the time of the murder that everybody calls the alibi post like they think she wrote that Facebook message to Julie to be like look I wasn't up there killing Julie I was messaging her on Facebook it's all weird that's weird behavior too like why would you be messaging the like yeah just leave your name out of it like yeah I don't even know who Julie is yeah 
So in the end, they couldn't prove that she plotted or participated in the murders, but they did charge her for two counts of accessory after the fact. And in 2018, she was convicted and she was sentenced to 32 months in prison. But she served less than a year and was released in 2019. So what? Yeah. So that's a problem. She's out. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she's out. And she swears she had nothing to do with this, but almost everybody involved in this case thinks that she had a lot more to do with this than she was ever charged for. Yeah, fair enough. Mm -hmm. I think she had a lot more to do with it than she was ever charged for, too. Yeah. So Rachel and Dan are no longer together. She jumped ship shortly after he confessed. But he's never rolled over on her. Like, he's never said that she was involved or she made him do it or anything. Hmm. That begs the question, why would he do that? So, I mean, maybe. Well, there's an answer for that, too. Oh, well, wonderful. Yeah. What's the answer? There was a really in-depth, deep-dive podcast called Sleuth, and it was hosted by an investigative reporter named Linda Sawyer, who sadly passed away in 2019. But in this podcast, she uncovered so much information about what Rachel knows and how much she's involved and how much her brother and Dan's brother are also involved. And Linda uncovered some stuff and was told things by informants and sources and even Dan's brother, Tim, that if Rachel ever spoke out about her involvement, that Tim would go down to Dan's brother, which is a big reason why people think Dan hasn't turned over on Rachel because he doesn't want to turn over on his brother. Oh. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, it's all starting to make sense, at Yeah, least. and they think that this whole thing is connected because Tim had the bag with the murder weapon and all the evidence and all that stuff, so he obviously knows more and helped cover the you know what I mean? So yeah. they think that if Dan rolls over on Rachel, Rachel will say everything that Tim was involved in, and then Tim will end up in jail. And there's, like, this whole thing about how Rachel went and lived with Tim and his girlfriend for, like, a week after the murder and did a bunch of crystal meth, and they, like, came up with this pact that they'll never turn over on each other and blah, 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 blah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, this is, like, endless. Linda Sawyer's podcast uncovered so much stuff about this case, like drugs and alcohol and murder plots between Dan and his brothers to kill their parents that they never actually went through with. And, like, during the first week of Dan's trial, one of Daniel's brothers and their dad got in a fist fight and his brother beat his dad so severely that he actually died from his injuries a couple weeks later. What? And the brother was never charged with that and she uncovered stuff about Rachel's past and things she said has happened and that her brothers were involved and that they had an ex-boyfriend of hers that came on that dated her after the murders but before he knew she was being charged with accessory. (laughs) And he told some weird stories about Rachel and her relationship with her brother, like that he thought their relationship was sexual. And it's really endless. Like Linda reported on corruption in the DA's office and how that all ties into the Todd Spitzer. Yep. And the Tony Rakakis stuff. And no, they're all bad. Yeah. And how everything like ties into everything. This story is literally endless. It's a rabbit hole that you could go down forever. There's a blogger with a website called Daniel Wozniak is my friend, which is like a weird blog from a married lady who's obviously like in love with Daniel Wozniak. And so I like I just saw that and I was like, that's weird. I need to look into that more later, like when we're not recording. No, that's maybe I need to look into it now. Yeah. 
That's a whole weird thing. It's some lady who worked at a theater that Daniel Wozniak acted at and she like had casually met him before he was a murderer. But then after he was a murderer, she like started a relationship with him in prison and like awkwardly like flirts with him on this blog. It's really weird. It's really weird. (laughs) I was going to say this. This all sounds very bizarre. It is bizarre. For it to be happening like that close to where we grew up, I I had no idea, but. That's it's very bizarre. And like you could pick one branch of this story and go down it for nine episodes if you wanted to. That's why I just like word vomited all that weird stuff that came out in Linda's podcast because her podcast has like 30 episodes and she still didn't finish covering it all. It was an ongoing story still when she passed. This is an endless rabbit hole that you could go down forever. It absolutely seems like it. I mean, every twist and turn, there's been something even more dark, more crazy, more just ridiculous so yeah i can 100 percent see that yeah anyway that is the insane story of daniel wozniak and how he ruthlessly murdered sam Hare and julie kibuishi yeah i'm glad jen requested this so many times and we finally listened because this was this was a bananas as you like to say yeah so but this is that was all over the part place. of the reason why our break for before season three was so long because i couldn't stop it with this case i don't blame you there's so much going on like yeah Again, every time you think you know what's going on, there's a twist or turn and you don't. So yeah, I can see why you wanted to tell tell this one to me. Yep. So just last year, actually, they moved Daniel Wozniak from death row in San Quentin to Salinas Valley State Prison for some program called the Condemned Inmate Pilot Program or something where they're supposed to, because they're not going to execute him because of the moratorium on the death penalty right now. Uh-huh. They are taking condemned prisoners and then putting them in different prisons and then making them like work and stuff to pay restitution to their victims. It's kind of a good concept when you think about it. But at the same time, it like severely improved the living conditions for Daniel Wozniak. So the Mm, victims' families are really upset because they weren't even told about this program. They heard about him getting moved to this nicer facility like with everybody else. And that his life is so much better. He has things he's allowed to do and go, you know, work and do stuff like so that really bothers them. Like they're already upset that the state of California won't execute him, even though he got the death penalty. But then now they won't even keep him on death row. I get what they're saying and stuff. But I mean, from what I've heard, death row is actually kind of nice. Like you get your own you know, situation and stuff. So is he more in like a gen pop thing here or is he like still having like his own? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the whole thing is like I heard on there's a radio show called John and Ken on an AM radio station that Sam Hare's dad did an interview on. And the way he explained it was on death row, even though they have certain accommodations that you wouldn't have in gen pop, like they can have like a black and white TV and stuff like that. They're isolated, and every time they come out of their cell, which is only one hour a day, they have to be shackled, hand and foot, shackled. Oh, wow. And so they have, like, no freedom. And he said in a weird way that made him feel better. Like, at least if you're not going to execute him or let me kill him, at least every time he's out of his cell, he has to wear shackles and chains and, like, you know, be a prisoner. But now they've moved him to this other facility where he's— I mean, he's in prison. It sucks, I'm sure. But it's way significantly more freedom than he had on death row. And that doesn't make the victim's families very happy. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, It sounds like he's almost kind of made a... A life. Another life. Yeah. Yep. 
within the prison walls. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, so it bothers them. And it bothers them that they had no say-so in it. They weren't even, like, told that it was going to happen or asked their opinion on it or anything. But there's nothing that, I mean, there's no reason to ask them, is there? Like, is that weird to ask them? Um, I wouldn't think they'd have any kind of say in it. Well, and that's the whole thing, is that legally they don't have to ask them. Yeah. But... Morally, should they? I think so. I think Sam and Julie's family should have a say-so in what happens to Daniel Wozniak. I do. That's an interesting thought. I've never thought about it, and I don't have an opinion at the moment. Yeah. Because I, I want to mull it over. But yeah, that's an interesting thought to, if you do something like this, then maybe the victim's family should have a say in yeah. well, what happens to you after that. Especially because his sentence was death which they've already conceded to the fact that California won't put him to death. So they've already lost that portion of their justice. Right. And so they've already lost that portion. So the little portion that they had left was that he was shackled for the one hour a day that he was allowed out of his cell on death row. And now they don't even have that. So it's like, what right does the prison system have to take that away from them as the victims? Yeah, you have a good point. It's, you know, there's a... I get what you're saying, yeah. and I don't disagree with it to a part. To a part, I don't know how I do agree with it. Like I said, I kind of want to mull it over a little bit. Yeah, but that's an interesting, uh, an interesting concept. Like it's a whole topic yeah. because of how expensive the death penalty is in California, and it's still part of our state law. So people are still getting sentenced to death, but then the governor says, "No, we're not putting anybody to death." So it's this huge like money waste. So. One of the ways around it is like, well, maybe we can make these people work and then pay money that like it, the intentions, I think, are good, but it ends up affecting people in different ways than it should. I get what you're saying. Yeah, it, they, yeah, it has unforeseen results. Sure. And then a lot of people's like, well, then why do they keep sentencing them to death? And it's like because it's still part of California state law. Every time they put it to the voters to vote on the death penalty, the voters vote to keep it. I don't. But the state of California as a whole does. Yeah. And it's just Interesting. the current governor says, no, we're not putting anybody to death. But it's still part of state law. So if the next governor comes in and says, ah, I see. Do you know what I'm saying? Because the people of California yeah. have voted that they want the death penalty. They even voted to speed okay. it up <laughs> with Prop 66. So the current governor doesn't agree with it. So he put a moratorium and says there's not going to be any executions while I'm governor. But that doesn't mean the next governor is going to do that. Gotcha. Okay. I, that makes sense. That makes more sense. I, I might run for governor next and keep that thing going. But Well, a lot of people don't understand why they keep sentencing people to death if they're not going to put them to death. And it's like because it's still part of our state law and people still keep voting for it to be part of the state yeah, law. Yeah, I gotcha. It's just the current governor says no. Like, it's not even, like, really a death penalty debate. It's just more of, like, the families already know he's not going to be put to death. Like, they right. get that. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, and I understand the whole thing. And I, yeah. I think it's an interesting concept to to bring up, but I don't know. I don't have the answer, so. Yeah. Well, the other thing about the death penalty, too, and I know you're against it, but the other pro of a state having the death penalty is that prosecutors can use it for leverage. I'm fine if we keep it and then don't use it. Yeah. That's fine. But that's what I'm saying. But a lot of people are like, just get rid of it if we don't use it. It's like, yeah, but a lot of times they use it, prosecutors use it to get people to confess. Like, okay, we won't we won't give you the death penalty if you tell us what happened. They use it as leverage. You know, as, as we've said before, like when it comes to kids and animals and yeah. like those, 
then I'm a little bit more Texan about it. But at the moment, <laughs> I'm pretty California about it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I get it. So anyway, that doesn't negate the fact that Daniel Wozniak, he did that. I mean, he admitted right. that he did this. It's not even like a question. If there's any questions on this case, it's who else should be in there with him. Right. But. Yeah, it sounds like at least one other person should be. Yeah, if not three. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Anyway. It's unfortunate. So anyway, that is the horrible, horrible story of Daniel Wozniak. Yeah. Well, that was a horrible, horrible story, but thank you for telling it to me. Now I can process that while I go through my day. Yep. All right. Well, we'll get you again on the next episode of From Crime to Crime. Until then, remember to go on your Apple podcast or wherever you get your podcast and like and subscribe to us so you don't miss anything. We are on YouTube. We're on Instagram at from crime to crime. We're on Twitter from crime. The number two crime. Um, we're on TikTok. We don't do much on any of these platforms, uh, but we are there. Be good at TikTok one day. Yeah, one day. But we're all there. So if you have anything to want to say to us, we do see them. So just go there and we'll answer you. Yeah, we're gonna get better at all of the social medias. Pinky promise. Or we're gonna hire somebody to do it for us. So if you're interested. Well, we're hiring a, a non-paid social media intern right now. <laughs> so if you're interested, please apply at from crime to crime at gmail.com. Yep. Except that's not our email address. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Our email address is actually from crime to crime podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, we're going to be at CrimeCon. Uh, CrimeCon is coming and we'll be there. Yeah. I don't know the dates, but we should know the dates because you have to book a flight. Yeah. Well. We'll look them up, but it's at the end of April, so it's coming up. Yeah. Hopefully we see you guys there. Come find us. Love you. Love you. Bye.